0: Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. This week, I'm joined by my colleague, Sarah Lee, to discuss how recent developments in the investigation of the Trump-Russia investigators illustrates the problems with the administrative state, Ask how American political parties might work to improve the quality of their nominees and what they stand to gain from doing so, and investigate the Lincoln Project, a Democratic super PAC with pretensions of being more than that.
1: Hi, Mike. Hi,
0: Sarah.
1: (laughs) Thanks for letting me join you today. I have some questions for you about those... uh... Topics that you just ran off. So, are you ready? Yep. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So, on the uh, Russia collusion, uh, investigate the predicate, the predicate, the investigation into the predicate of. Yeah,
0: the investigate, the investigation of the investigators. Exactly. (laughs) Andy McCarthy um, so, calls it
1: right. So there's been some breaking news over the last couple of days. Uh, the lawyer, one of the FBI lawyers, Klein Smith. Yeah, is his Kev- name. Kevin Kevin Kleinsmith. Yes, think. Uh, he was. He just uh, pled guilty. I think right. Yeah,
0: he pleaded. He pleaded guilty to altering an email that was sent to one of the lawyers who was refute who was reviewing the application to the FISA court. The FISA court uh, is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Uh, if the U.S. government thinks that a U.S. person, an, an American citizen or a person present in the United States, is a, an agent of a foreign power, is working for a foreign government, uh, uh, that they can then be uh, be surveilled if they um, can get a warrant from this court. And Carter Page, who is a foreign policy advisor with some some very credulous beliefs about uh, about the Russian Federation and about uh, the leadership of the Russian Federation uh, was targeted for the surveillance. And the issue is that he was, while he was in conversations with uh, people who were associated with the Russian government, he was also passing some of that information on to the American government, to the CIA. And the CIA. Told the FBI, which Kleinsmith was working for, that Carter Page is talking to that Carter Page has in the past talked to us, and has in the past cooperated with us, which is an indication that he's maybe not an agent of a foreign power. <laughs> uh, and Kleinsmith admitted that he altered one of the emails that he got from this uh, contact at the CIA. Uh, that he then sent on to the people reviewing the FISA warrant, the FISA warrant application. Right. uh, In a way that made Page look bad.
1: Right. So, and I know I just actually wrote about this yesterday for one of my side gigs, that uh, John Brennan, former head of the CIA, is set to be interviewed by John Durham, who borrowing. Yeah, the the U.S.
0: attorney who has been appointed by the attorney general to conduct a— a scrutineering of the of how the investigation was conducted, right? And how it blew up in the way that
1: it did, right? So, so the reason that I wanted to talk about this is that we are currently working here at Capital Research Center on a project where we're basically you, we're putting all of the players in a database, essentially. Yeah,
0: yeah, collecting the collecting the names uh, at Influence Watch. In relatively soon, we're going to be putting up a big sort of overview of the whole story. Um, of the initial reports of the Russian interference in the 2016 election, of the, uh, you know, how that was initially investigated, uh, the genesis of the the infamous Steele dossier, this opposition research document that was created by uh, this former British spy who was working, I mean, it just came out in the Senate Intelligence Committee report that, you know the same sketchy Eastern European guy that Paul Manafort had worked for had also worked for Christopher Steele had mm-hmm. also worked with Christopher Steele. You know, there's a lot of a, a lot of questions that can be raised about the whole story, both the you know from from the very beginning, from the actual you know acts that you know the U.S. government certainly believes that the Russian Federation committed uh, through you know how the Trump campaign responded to it. Uh, through how the Democrats, after they lost, responded to it, mm-hmm. to how Congress responded to it, to how the press responded to it. And
1: well, you know, one the press of
0: arguably were, you know, with the possible exception of Paul Manafort himself, the worst.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, yes. And I agree with you there. Uh, the press was definitely, the role that they played was definitely strange and unusual and, and disturbing. But speaking of all of those players, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and you mentioned it at the top of the show, is that a lot of those names are actually bureaucrats. Yeah, it's the administrative right. state. Right, the And they had a they had a role here that could have led had it had it been discovered that, um, or if if people had taken seriously some of these allegations, taken them seriously mm-hmm. enough. They could have impeached a president. Sure. No, the... They could have overturned you had, the right, results you, of right. an election. You had, you
0: had a lot of people in the bureaucracy who, some for, I mean, it doesn't justify what they did, but for somewhat understandable reasons. I mean, Trump said a lot of things during the campaign that were really awkwardly solicitous of the Russian Federation, uh, you know, and then to obtain evidence that the Russian Federation uh, you know, entities tied to the Russian government were interfering in prominent political figures, email, email servers were, in. uh, you know, spreading, even if it was the, some of the dopiest advertisements in the history of political advertising, you know, you know, Jesus versus Hillary arm wrestling or whatever. The memes. Yeah, the the memes, memes. uh, you know, that, you know, to then go, you know, geez, maybe something, maybe something's up here, and then you throw in things like the Steele dossier, mm-hmm. and combine that with their underlying—I mean, you know, like um, and Page. Right. They had the, a bias, yeah. For you sure. know, who, you know, clearly had partisan, you know, partisan beliefs. Um, right, You know, Andrew McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI, was married to a Democratic political candidate. Right.
1: So let's talk about that for just a second before we move on. That's a strong and powerful administrative state, and that is not how our founders envisioned the separation of powers. No, of I mean, originally,
0: originally, the attorney general was just the president's lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. the same thing as the White House counsel is today.
1: Yeah, the Department of Justice didn't even exist.
0: Right. It, it was only created, at, you know, as part of the fallout from the Civil War and then from the the resistance of the Southern states to the uh, to the effects of the Civil War, to mm-hmm. the the freedom of the of the new the newly freedmen, uh, and the establishment of their civil rights, then, well, we have to create the Department of Justice to break the Klan, mm-hmm. and and then over time, I mean, by the '30s, you've got Hoover and the G Men, and it you know the the criminal arm, you know, the, the extent the Department of Justice is the criminal arm of the administrative state, right? You know, and and, and Congress is is. You know, implicated here too because they start passing a bunch of criminal laws,
1: right? And one of the you know
0: used to be a a a state level that used to be that you know that crimes are mostly a state level thing. They still are, but you know the federal government doesn't know how many federal crimes there are. Right? They tried to ask in the eighties and gave up.
1: So this is this growth of the administrative state is not something that has gone unnoticed and certainly not with this administration Um, and you know I got a, a master's of public administration and one of the things we discussed during my master's program was Woodrow Wilson and his desire to professionalize the bureaucracy now because of the nature of academia my professors really like oh, yeah liked yeah, that yeah.
0: and this was back in the, and, th- and this was back in the day before everybody looked back into Woodrow Wilson's history and realized that he right. was actually a very bad dude exactly <laughs>
1: so this has not gone on notice, and certainly conservatives notice it and there is a new DOJ report that's urging Congress to update the administrative procedure act I want to mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. because they're worried about the size of the administrative state so what do you make briefly before we move on what do you make of the growth of the administrative state and do you think well, cr- that it's worthwhile trying to draw it I back? Mean the
0: creation of these bureaucratic fiefdoms gives, you know, you know, we all have this belief about the civil service, and we want to believe that they're, you know, dispassionate, that, you know, yes, they're carrying out sort of the permanent activities of the government, but that ultimately they're carrying it out in good faith. But as we've discovered, and we keep discovering, it's not just the Trump-Russia investigation, it's, I mean, you look at, like, you know the the people who go to work for the EPA are not the kind of people who think we need to balance environmental protection against employment, job creation, and having the lights on in California. It's the kind of people who go to work for the EPA are, you know, environmentalists want to be by the government. Right. <laughs> and they're they're ideologues. Yeah. They're 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 in many cases ideologues or or, you know, committed to a certain view of what the administrative agency should do, and you know, putting more of that in the control of people who are democratically accountable, whether that's Congress passing laws that say, that say, no, this is what we actually want the the agency to do. You know, Obamacare is littered with the secretary shall.
1: Exactly. Which
0: is the, the administrative state gets to do what it wants that's to do That's exactly X. right, yes. So uh, do you
1: think that, that we should draw this down? Oh, absolutely. C-
0: okay. Congress needs to do its job. Congress needs to legislate. Right. You know, if if Congress wants something done— Rather than saying, the administrative agency shall figure out how to do this whenever it gets around to it, you know, it should say, do X. Yes.
1: <laughs> because we are the body that legislates right, and right, creates laws. Right. And so, yeah,
0: because <laughs> ultimately Congress is supposed to be superior, the superior branch, and ultimately Congress is accountable to the people of the several states.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let's move on from that since we're we're, uh, we're probably going to go over time, but that's okay because we're having fun. Um, so let's talk about the uh, political parties. Uh, there have been a couple of primary wins here mm. in the recent days both on the Democrat and the Republican nope. side that are less than stellar candidates um, know, and
0: and and you know we got to be clear that we cannot you know we are not in, uh, involving ourselves in elections we're a 501c3 organization that is uh, that is that is not allowed however uh, they are illustrative of structural problems mm-hmm. in our politics right
1: in the two-party system which i'm not one of those like libertarian people that's like we've got to have a third party although i do recognize that it might make things I mean, better fu- i mean
0: functionally we have two congr- two parties that are reasonable chance of winning a congressional or presidential election right and we have since 1856 right you know, and arguably before that.
1: <laughs> so what we're seeing now, and can I name? I know we we have some, you know, some parameters we have we have to be aware of. Can I name the candidates? No. If we can talk without, if we can okay. talk without,
0: it, it might be might be easiest. So
1: let's just put it this way, and and again, these are both on the Democrat and yeah. the Republican side, um, and the two that I'm thinking of are really less than stellar. Their yeah. associations, uh, you know, tend on one side to be. Very extremist, ques- extremist, yeah, extremist questionable. questionable. On the other side, we're talking about a very young person who, right. admittedly, didn't even want to win, but yeah. he won his primary and, and could actually win the race,
0: right? And had some and had some stuff in his background that's very that's disturbing. It's not, not good, right? So, um,
1: what is going on with the parties, oh. and can we fix them? <laughs> is there room to fix them? Can we do that? Well, the, the problem
0: is part of the problem is we. In the '70s, we weakened the parties. The this was coming out of the 1968 Democratic Convention when uh, Hubert Humphrey is nominated. This was you know before primaries as we know them today, at okay. least at the presidential level. Hubert Humphrey gets nominated uh, based on sort of the institutions of the Democratic Party say this is how it shall be, okay. and the all the all the kids who had gone clean for Gene McCarthy. The the lefty lefty student types. Some of them were students for Democratic Society, uh, aligned sort of before SDS, then turned into a communist front organization. Uh, they they thought they had been robbed, and this you know obviously there were then the '68 Chicago riots during the convention, not a fun time. Mm-hmm. So the Democrats go and they figure out that they basically restructure their entire party nominating system to the primaries as we know them today. Okay. Um, So
1: we have the Democrats to thank for the primaries, okay? the Democrats
0: thank for the primaries and the Republicans who, at the time, at least at the presidential level, you know, they were never going to have a congressional majority, that this was an article of political faith until 1994. Uh, So Congress didn't matter. And Republicans were pretty solid about nominating, you know, down the road establishment proven guy, you know, even... You know, even Ronald Reagan wasn't an establishment guy, but he was a proven guy. He was two term governor of California mm-hmm. at that time a pretty purple state, at least in the statewide elections.
1: I think the word proven is very important yeah. here because we are talking about people now winning who are less than proven. Yeah. Mm. And very and, and probably grifters. In, I mean we can some, use that word, right? Yeah.
0: In some cases they in some cases they certainly may be. Okay. Um the so you know, you had these these proven people who had been up through the who were up through the ranks. Uh, so the Republicans said, "Oh, we can just adopt whatever they're doing because it's not going. You know, our our guys are, you know, straight laced you know, straight lace types, and they'll they'll keep keep doing what they're doing. And the problem is, as you know, Congress, you know, Cong- congressional control now is in flux. Um, seems
1: to always be in flux. It's all.
0: It's, it seems to always be in flux. Um, the." you know, presidential nominating contests are—you have people running in presidential nominating contests who just want a TV show, mm-hmm. or who just want a, <laughs> a contract with one of the cable networks. After you know, because they're an ex-governor from seven years before,
1: right? Or at the very least, they're like, "This will up my speaking engagement,"
0: right? Or there's a lot of up my speaking engagements or my speaking. Engagements. And at the congressional level and below state legislatures, to say nothing of local government, you know, we're trusting people who don't do this for a living to try to assess, sometimes based on nothing, who's the, who's a good choice, you know. So, and and again, even if it's a race you think you're going to lose, there are still gains to be made by having the right person in a, in a position.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um... Uh, you know, in Georgia, there was a special election a couple of years back where the Democrats, yeah, they spent a lot of money to lose, but they won the seat in the next, in the next, uh, in the midterm general election. Right, they, they played they, the long game. They played the long game. Uh, you know, and you, we've seen some even, you know, no hope candidates who were able to put out, you know, to take their message to a place where it might not normally be heard.
1: So what's happening with these Crazy candidates. Yeah. How mean, are they have, winning?
0: I mean, you have people, you know, some of it, if, if you're prominent enough, if one of these candidates is prominent enough, you can just get the I'm trolling the other side.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: the, the at, at least with conservatives, you know, the own the lips. You know, we're going to lose anyway. It doesn't matter. Let's own the lips. Right. Or let's, you know, own the cons.
1: Bad optics, right. though. Bad
0: look. It makes your, makes the rest of your ticket look bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all, and any sort of gain for the long game, you forfeit. But there's no institutional structure to help the voters see that there's a long game to be played.
1: Right, that this is actually politics and that the the embrace of this candidate has implications beyond this race. Impl- right? Implications
0: beyond this district, implications beyond this year. Yeah. You know, because any sort of building that you were going to do with, you know, I mean, people move. You know, you got people moving— from California to uh, you know, you have people moving out of California and you might want to be trying to get them uh to support your can you know to support your candidates. Um if you nom- you know, if you nominate somebody who's crazy, you haven't put a good face a good face forward to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you haven't put a good face forward to the eighteen year olds who are now registering to vote. Yep. So
1: is the answer then, and this is actually something I've been curious about, and again, I, I have no idea what the answers are here. I have not looked into this. I just know it's troublesome to me whenever I see it on any ticket, on any side. Mm. Like, this person's a madman. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> um, but is it, is it worthwhile sort of insisting that if we want gr- great you know, politicians who are better than the average bear mm. – um, the voter is going to have to accept that they're going to have to say they're going to have to be better than the average bear. They can't be down in the trenches. They, they, get,
0: they, I mean, the, there needs to be something for, there needs to be a way to entice the better than the average, you're better than the average bear candidate mm-hmm. to bother running, especially if it's a race that they're probably not going to win, mm-hmm. you know?
1: They have to care. They, they, they
0: have to be – there has to be some – you know, there has to be some benefit at the end of the road. And then you can say, okay, now voter, you know, this person – I mean, what the British do, uh, because the British don't care about whether you live in the district. The British don't care about, you know, um, uh, about – you know, they don't have – I guess they have constituent countries, but it's not the same as our state's. Um, You know, so you can run, you know, so if you're a 27-year-old party activist who works for, you know, Tory headquarters or for labor headquarters, you might be assigned to be the candidate in the prime minister. You know, if the other side is the prime minister, you know, you may be assigned to run against the prime minister. You're obviously going to lose. <laughs> you know, you're going to lose by... Uh, you know, by tens of percent
1: but you're doing it for the party
0: but you're doing it for the good of the party, you're doing it to show that you're a sort of a loyal foot soldier, and then next time, you know maybe one of the safe seat guys on your side retires, and you you look good to get nominated for that seat you know well,
1: I, I think part of what's and we'll move on from here just because we're we're running down on time, but I think part of the thing is we're in a place right now in our history where this sort of outsider uh, the embrace of the outsider is part of our political culture right now. Right, I mean you have,
0: and but you could work with the embrace of the outsider if there was a way to get good outs, you know, to get right. higher quality outside. Right, a not way... people who are doing crazy things. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, you know, you could, you know, there are many people who have never held political office who would look like respectable. Prospective congressman, let's say, mm-hmm. as respectable as a congressman can be. That's um, <laughs> so sad. But the, you know, the question is, how do you get them to stand? How do you get them? How do you get the voters to recognize that this person could do a good job? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't take the opportunity just to own the other side by sticking the political equivalent of a middle finger in their face.
1: Well, maybe we're still growing and we'll (laughs) mature and we'll figure it out. I do think the introduction of um, the online sort of space has set us back in some ways in terms of political communication. So my hope is that we will refine and get better and actually grow up a little bit as we use those applications more. As we become familiar with them, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so on that same theme, and we'll keep this one the last um, topic, um, talking about sort of this grifter mentality, right? <laughs> um, and I'm sorry to say that, you know, we are looking at the Lincoln Project, mm-hmm. and we kind of have decided that they're grifting a little bit, but can you explain that?
0: Yeah, the so the Lincoln Project is a super is a super PAC, or functionally a super PAC, I believe it is actually a super PAC, um, that is run by erstwhile Republican political consultants to oppose, originally it was just to oppose the re-election of the president. Uh, it now opposes the election of, as far as I can tell, every Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm sure this has nothing to do with the fact that it gets most of its money, uh, or at least a substantial chunk of its money, from uh, from liberal megadonors. Mm-hmm. Uh, from people who have given six and seven figure sums to uh, the campaigns and Political committees supporting Hillary Clinton, supporting the DSCC.
1: So uh, it's it's actually so. Let me just get this straight. It's supporting Democrats over Republicans almost completely across the board. It takes get, it gets most of its money from Democrat liberal mega donors. Or certainly,
0: a certainly a prominent proportion of it.
1: Yeah. Okay. And yet it calls itself a Republican group.
0: It claim it sort of pseudo claims to be. Okay. It's run by people who used to be Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, who you know, oppose, you know, who opposed Trump's election.
1: Mm-hmm. That's kind of where they started. That's yeah, where they yeah, yeah, that,
0: that, that's where they started. But, you know, lo and behold, it turns out, you know, there's been some reporting that some of them have had money problems, that some of them have, you know, they found it extremely hard to get business in the 2018 midterm elections as political consultants.
1: So my question then is, and I know we're looking at it, our, one of our researchers, Hayden Ludwig, has done some work mm. on it, um, some really good work on it, uh, and we, you know, the 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 never-Trump contingent is just sort of a fascinating outgrowth of the Trump uh, election. So mm. I know we look at that kind of stuff a lot in terms of where how the mm. money flows. But do you think, and this is a question someone asked me the other day, and I don't know how to answer it. Do you think that if Trump wins again, that this contingent, this sort of ostensible Republican mm. but actually pushing for – are I mean, they going to
0: survive? There's always been a – whether he wins or loses, whether the president wins or loses, there's always been a market for the MSNbc reformed republican the <laughs> okay. the a former activist, a former commentator, a former, you know, appointed official who at some point saw the light and realized that everything that the liberals have ever said about conservatives and Republicans was actually true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that can be a highly remunerative position mm-hmm. um, and that's
1: like you know holding the two thoughts two opposing thoughts in your brain at the same time though.
0: i i mean it's it, it's it's classic spokespersonship <laughs> they're <laughs> you know you are paid to say a line and you say a line. I would never suggest that they don't believe the line that they're saying, but they're gonna say the line they're they're ultimately paid to say right um. And so I think that that is the, you know, for a, you know, for an office holder, there's the possibility of being the sort of token appointment from the other party in either the cabinet or to an ambassadorship or something. For these consultant guys in the Lincoln Project, no, the ultimate, the ultimate goal. And I mean, John Weaver, who's one of them, has admitted that, well, if Biden's elected, they're going to... You know, spend, You know, if they have money left over, they're going to spend it defending Biden's agenda. You know, like that's a sign that you've that you're now the MSNBC, you know, House ex conservative, right? Who, who is there to tell, to 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 flatter the audience and say that yes, everything you believe is true. I was on the inside and I know it.
1: Right, and I think that that's partly why, I mean, I personally think, and maybe this isn't the place for my personal uh, opinions on things, but I personally think that that's partly why politics has gotten so confusing to the voter mm. because uh, uh, these people end up on, you know, you keep saying MSNBC, but literally that's where they end <laughs> up. And so the, the voters watch these things on cable news and they get very confused by.
0: Or Well, I mean, if you're watching cable news, your cable news these days, in my opinion, is about the serving of cheesecake to partisans. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch MSNBC or CNN, you will get a certain flavor of cheesecake. They will give you the same flavor of cheesecake every night. You and know if what you chart. like that flavor, and if you like that flavor, you are there, and they will just keep shoveling it in you, and you will get intellectually obese. If <laughs> you, you know, listen, you know, if you, I would not be surprised if people believe that. For conservatives, Fox is the same thing in reverse. Oh, for sure. Or, um, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, and and uh, and that's you know you know you're not engaging with you you don't bring the Lincoln Project guys on as CNN to engage with you know the best of conservatism. You're there. They're there to prepare cheesecakes right. and to deliver them to the audience.
1: Well, I hope that. Again, my hope is that we all kind of grow up and mature a little bit more as we move through some of these crazy times that we're in. So, those are the topics. (laughs) Yes, those are the topics I had for you today. I'll hand it back to you to close this out. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe
0: on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five star rating. We'll see you next week.